0: How can we show up to work without showing up? In response to the coronavirus pandemic, the social world has been reinvented with a collection of stark new rules that defy normal conventions of human behavior. The defining rule of the world under COVID-19 is social distancing. In order to thwart the spread of the virus, We are told to stay at home. Businesses have had to close. Above all else, we're not supposed to meet other people face-to-face anymore. Businesses have compensated by using online means of communication, such as Zoom, to hold meetings. What kind of meeting can take place, however, when people don't actually meet? What happens to our personhood when nothing happens in person. Welcome to Beyond Back to Normal, a podcast about the impact of the coronavirus crisis on the culture of business. This podcast is one means to share the findings of a study based on interviews with 50 people who work within and study business culture. Last week's episode explored the symbolic dimension of the crisis, as we improvise and play with the strange new terms of a business landscape that's become oddly fluid. This week's episode confronts the struggle to achieve presence while distance is being imposed. Kim Orozzi, the owner of innocenzi explains that the struggle to adapt to remote forms of interaction in itself is nothing new. What's new is the speed with which remote communication has become the only option for most forms of business.
1: We've had the tools for a long time, and we've been talking about digital transformation for ever. And everyone's about innovation and digital transformation, and companies spend billions on hiring. Uh, consultants to come in and do this and schools are working on it and whatever but really deep down people didn't want to change it's just i feel working in innovation i feel a lot of it is just lip service it's just to tick a box we're innovative we're doing something digital but they really are not changing the whole um fundamental way they work and now we're being forced to right we can't be in the same building we can't be in offices we have to send people home we're all working independently so we're forced to use tools like zoom like we're using and all kinds of other online tools to keep our businesses going another problem we have that was building and building is our addiction to tech and our our time on screens spent on screens so now you can say okay now we're at home we're quarantined we're spending even more time on screens and yes that's probably true and there are already reports stating that so we're in front of our computers even more because we're not in person in the office, we're on Zoom calls all day, we're ordering our food online. I mean, everything we were doing before is only now exaggerated. So that is not good for us as humans. It's very easy for people, especially if they're on their own, to feel isolated and to you know almost go into a depression. And there's no need for that. We have the technology in place to still connect And we should use it for that. And that's what I always say. Technology is amazing when we use it to connect. It's horrible when we use it to disconnect. So let's use it to connect. Now is our chance to show how we can use it to connect.
0: As Kim says, for decades now, people in business have been talking about innovating methods for remote interaction. But until COVID-19 struck this year, business travel remained a common practice with people flying thousands of miles just to attend meetings in person. Working from home remained the exception, rather than the rule. With the restrictions imposed to contain the coronavirus pandemic, however, offices and physical storefronts have closed up. The status quo of face-to-face business has melted away. For businesses that were already working remotely, the shift has been simple. Virginie Glanzer of Acorn Oak, for example, merely pulled back from an occasional visit to a co-working space and began full-time work from home.
2: So interestingly, most of us are remote, and we all we all worked from home already. You know, some of us had um, co-working spaces to go once or twice in the week, but it was it's already a remote. Organization, So it doesn't change fundamentally. We're used to it. Zoom has been something part of our rituals on a regular basis, or if it's text or if it's uh, calls. So I don't feel at all lonely. My husband has been working from home since for the last seven years.
0: For white collar workers in the information economy, remote work seems natural, as their businesses can be conducted anywhere that there's an internet connectivity. Other sorts of businesses have shifted to remote work too, however, in surprising ways. Elise Green, for example, deals in business real estate down in Florida. One might think that her work depends on in-person property visits, but much of her work has always been remote with international business sales, for example.
3: The
1: only thing that we can do as business owners is keep moving forward and that's what we're doing we're just going to continue on as if you know it's business as usual for us but of course we are making some things for example we're all working from home we're all doing everything remotely but our team was pretty spread out to begin with so we're very used to doing a zoom meeting every morning our team you know is spread out throughout the entire state of florida so Doing virtual meetings is something that we've already been doing. We do a lot of business with out-of-state buyers buying businesses in Florida, and actually we do a lot of international business because people can move to the United States. If they buy a business, they can get an E-2 visa. So we do a lot of international sales too, and that's all done remotely. So we're used to working you know, with conference calls and Zoom meetings, doing our daily, our daily business. So
3: it hasn't affected the way we operate too much.
0: Dave Mason principal at the strategic design firm multiple has been working remotely since back in the days when video conferences seemed like science fiction
4: we're digital you know we have an office obviously we have physical location but we don't need it you know and our you know the work we do is done on this thing so it can be done anywhere and you know i've I moved from Vancouver to Chicago in 1995 before the invention of, uh, you know, video conferencing, or I guess it had been invented. Star Trek had it. Right. But, uh, and I worked remotely with my business partner up there for 20 years. Right. Like more by phone and fax. And I'm so used to this. It's like not even, it doesn't affect working.
0: Many people in business are like Elise, Virginie, and Dave. They take to remote work like ducks to water. Is this the future of business, then? Will every business take the opportunity of COVID-19 to move its work online? Not every business can be moved online. Despite decades of enthusiastic promotion of remote virtual experiences, businesses that require Direct physical contact remain economically and culturally essential. The anthropologist Christine Avenarius has become familiar with one such sector of physical business through her work for the Association of Skilled Crafts in Germany.
5: Here in Germany, a lot of people think like, "Oh, we won't do, uh, we won't have any travel anymore for conferences." You know, we will just completely go online after this is all done. And I doubt it. I doubt, I mean, a lot of people will still crave, yeah, crave the human contact. And if anything, you know, there might be in some circles, people might forgo the whole Skyping altogether because they just don't want that anymore. The one-on-one, you know, you still, you are very much focused on each other. And I think that's the part we might not really trust when we, when we are in front of a computer because we don't get the whole experience. We only get a part of it. And I mean, if you think about um, sexuality and the screen, you know, <laughs> I mean, everybody who had phone sex or even screen sex and then the real thing, I mean, I think that just brings it home completely in terms of, for me, I mean, at least, mm-hmm. I think it can't be recreated. Now I work here for the Association of Skilled Crafts and the main anthropology I do is that I convinced my co-workers that we need to get the opinion of the businesses, of the skilled crafts businesses and that we need to interact with them. So now that we're doing these online workshops instead of in-person workshops, fewer of the businesses participate because that's just not their cup of tea this, that far, you know, they were willing to come to um, the local chamber of commerce to meet with us to a certain degree, because we also offered some food and some party time (laughs) and stuff like that. But, you know, we haven't switched yet to the point that really a lot of businesses, small scale businesses are taking part in these online workshops. Maybe they will at some point, but, but right now it doesn't look like it. The hairdressers can't work, and all the um, you know uh, beauty workers they can't work. But um, people in the food business, as long as they're producing smaller items of food like bakeries or so, they can they can work. So there's a bit bit divide who can work and who can't work. But everybody who's dependent on customers coming in and fitting things for customers, they can't work. You know. So it will basically split, split a bit like that. Because of the economy going down, a lot of these small skilled crafts businesses will not get any, any requests. You know That will be actually the bigger problem.
0: The kinds of skilled crafts Christine describes may not sound very 21st century to people who are used to working with digital startups, but how many people need haircuts or hunger for food, far more than will ever use the latest product with a silicon chip slapped into it. It's trendy to think of business as innovative and driven by new technology, but the market for human needs is much larger. Visits to the local chamber of commerce may seem old-fashioned and boring in an age of, of Zoom, but it's worth remembering the intimate quality that face-to-face business transactions can generate it's no accident that christine compares online business to online sex the word commerce doesn't just refer to business it's also a term for sex in business as with sex looking is nice listening can be fun but there's no replacement for the thrill Of being there. There's a term psychologists have used for the longing we're feeling for direct human contact during the coronavirus quarantine. They call it skin hunger. Anthony Howard of the Socratic Leadership Academy describes this feeling of emotional anemia that comes from missing human touch. I'm an introvert who enjoys my own company,
6: but I've been surprised how much I've missed having coffee, if you like, having meals, being with people who energize me. Because one of the things this is highlighting is, I think this is a really significant point, is that this stuff works, but this is not human touch. And human touch is missing for everybody in in this. There's something that helps us grow and develop and flourish as human beings by
0: being in the presence of other attractive, energetic human beings. Online communications works, Anthony says, in the sense that communication is used for functional sharing of information. The trouble is that there's more than just a literal business function at work when people in business meet. When we come together, we form bonds that nourish us in our work. One of the businesses that embodies the power of the kind of in-person commerce Anthony is talking about is the bar. Marcus Rothmuller, who currently works as a techno-anthropologist, describes the struggles that an Austrian bar he once worked at is going through as it seeks to adapt to the social distancing requirements of the coronavirus pandemic.
7: Earlier in my younger version, I, I worked at a cocktail bar in Vienna. And that cocktail bar has, is basically based in the basement of a building. So there's no, no chance to, to actually have business in the summer, especially now when they um, forbid smoking inside, right? It's, it's hitting that cocktail bar very hard. Um, so they were standing in front of an existence crisis, obviously, and they managed to switch their very traditional cocktail, American cocktail bar brand, entirely online, use Instagram now to promote themselves and promote that they have a pickup service to actually deliver fresh-made cocktails or recipe packages to homes, and they somehow managed to survive in the end so much in our life is about the right atmosphere and I guess atmosphere is something you can hardly convey virtually. I guess that's one of the biggest problems probably then but especially if you think about that cocktail bar right everything in that bar is about atmosphere and being in the room with our friends laid back in a way maybe having every now and then in the back in the days a stream of cigar smoke and stuff like that all of this comes together right those central experiences make this atmosphere work in a way that it's a it's a unique experience for you
0: the bar that marcus used to work in has pivoted during this crisis allowing for online orders and curbside pickup of carryout cocktails so the bar has moved into a virtual space but what has been left behind the primary business of a bar is not to provide alcohol. It's to provide a third place to be in, neither work nor home, with other people. Under COVID-19, third places have been shut down, and work and home have been merged. There's just one place left to us now, the home office, day after day. Picking up a whiskey sour to go doesn't solve that problem. It's remarkable that, with an entire generation of online business behind us, there's still so much that online platforms are incapable of. If digital services were able to deliver all the benefits that they've promised, the global social distancing brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic would not have caused an economic crisis. Instead, the coronavirus crisis has shown just how much business remains necessarily in the physical world, conducted in person. The social distancing rules of this crisis amplify the pressure for people in business to get online and stay online, marginalizing the role of in-person work, Mulsuri Jain expresses her frustration at this new push for remote work.
2: The first week I was literally like, oh, thank God. Social obligations are gone. This feeling that I should go outside is gone. So it's not for me about going outside. It's about the fact that now that everyone's working from home, I almost feel like my space is crowded, which is a very weird feeling because... Suddenly, like everything has to happen in a new dimension. The whole reason, Jonathan, that I stopped doing design work was to stop being behind my computer all the time. I can't do <laughs> if I now have to like come back to being in front of my computer instead of engaging with people in real time. Like, in you know, it's it's kind of um, excruciating, maybe. So there's almost a part of me that's like, you know what, I should just do a full-on vipassana, just cut everything off and just sort of very much limit the uh, digital contacts so that I can be more in touch with my personal reality. I think it is actually the fact that the whole day you're only here. You're only in this part of your body. And I think it's just that. Because like when I speak in front of an audience, I mean, sure, I make myself you know, nervous and anxious beforehand in preparing and whatever. But when I actually stand in front of an audience, I'm no longer, it's no longer about me. It's like, I'm channeling my presence and their presence and it's their energy. And I'm sort of just channeling what they need and responding to that in a live thing. Yeah, I suddenly feel like I'm in a vacuum there's no shared space except this abstract conceptual one i i'm conflicted i want people to be in their comfort mode but on the other hand i'm like you know when someone's literally like they haven't had a shower today whatever it's like it's kind of like i feel like we're giving up on ourselves somehow
0: for the last generation people in business have played with the idea of working online some have found that it works for them and have embraced a life of remote work. What's different now, Mulsory points out, is that there's little choice left. We can work online, or not at all. So, suddenly, the territory of remote work is crowded, where once a remote worker might have established some control in their separation from the typical physical workplace setting, The world of remote work now feels crowded with overwhelming demands for online connections from those who are newly remote. Business people are indeed spending a great deal of time online during the coronavirus crisis, but how well does the format connect us? The fundamental quality that's always missing in online interactions is presence, the experience of being in a physical location peter korper describes the loneliness that grows when presence is missing
8: zoom is not always the thing that that i think is a great thing I, you you miss completely the uh, the action you don't have everybody in front of you have only singular people like now we're only two people right only the person who's speaking is visible in a small screen and i think it's you're missing the vibes that you get out of the group in um communication you have i, I don't know the percentage but probably 25 30 percent is the language and the rest is everything else is like mm-hmm. body movement is like uh, you know oh he's is he frowning or mm-hmm. whatever so so it's it's just you're missing all that. I think the 80% uh, of the different stuff, that's what you're missing. It kind of is a feeling of loneliness almost because you you don't seem to be part of the group and part of the the whole thing. You're isolated. So although, I mean, obviously in, in days like these and in days like Corona, uh, it, it does make sense to to have that separation, isolation maybe, but that's what it is. It is an isolation. The social components of working together, are, you miss them. And, um, and therefore, I think also the, the results might not be that good. I just realized even more how it is important to how, how social we are as human beings and how important it is to exchange on social levels that the machine can't provide currently. The ways, what we just do is we just I see your picture and I hear you and vice versa, but that's it. And that's how it's always has been since we have internet and since we have little cameras. There has to be something more. We have to somehow develop something where you get these social information, as I put it, into, into the info stream between the parties that are involved
0: peter tells of a kind of filtering of human presence that takes place in online platforms such as zoom the full sensation of encountering another person becomes reduced to digitally reproduced sound and a small window of vision just a few inches across alastair somerville who specializes in understanding the process of wayfinding warns of the psychological harm that can come from suppressing the urge people feel to move through space to find where they are and to find one another so i'm well aware that this kind of
6: sort of change is psychologically bad for people i mean sort of i mean for myself i I'm, I'm aware of sort of the possibilities of the issues underlying being trapped at home sort of thing and sort of, you know, the, the, the concepts of sort of how much socialization is inherent in being human, but also how much moving and the ability to move is also fundamental to being human. For those people who do do much more in a sense of traveling and moving about, the shift to being at home is going to be quite hard you know, I, was, I was having a chat with a guy who was uh, American and um, he actually was surprised that he was talking about social anxiety and other things but saying that sort of his anxiety which he has is actually now greater now that he's just sort of having to work at home because even though he might not be desperately sociable being amongst people did actually matter and i think that's that's that sense of even you know and this is why the whole extrovert introvert thing becomes meaningless in one sense because however much people may want differing levels of social interaction it's very low number of people who actually want to and deliberately seek
0: solitude or loneliness loneliness isn't just an emotional problem. It's also a barrier to creativity, collaboration, and innovation. Amy Santi, a UX researcher from Oregon, takes note of the loss of what she calls the water cooler moment.
9: I saw someone talk about uh, loss of water cooler opportunities, and I think that's a great point. Like, so many people already work remotely in our field, like in tech and design and stuff. Um, And I find that problematic because it's good for some roles, like developers, for example, but for researchers or other people where you really need to interface face to face in person with people, that can be a challenge. So I think we'll work, we'll do our best at that. But I, I like this water cooler moment idea of you're not in a hallway or a happy hour or some kind of, peripheral work uh activity um that isn't just focused on your job where you just start talking with people about stuff you have to kind of plan that now so i think that's an interesting thing that will like we'll see more remote work will uh people will appreciate it and find ways to do it but i think people will miss and want, and still want to go back to physically being with people for those organic conversations that can really lead to interesting ideas and topics of discussion
0: the problem with video conference calls on platforms like zoom is that they have to be planned as amy observes they're not organic there's no happenstance to them scheduled online meetings have a predetermined purpose to them so that the scope of conversation remains limited there are few surprise encounters on zoom No hallways in which we might bump into someone without expecting it. As a result, our conversations in these online spaces tend to follow a predictable course in which a functional purpose is met, without the opportunity for unexpected connections. Some businesses are transforming their services to try to expand the room for chance connections in online space, however, Consider the work of Kim Arazzi. In the past, her business, in Innocency, delivered direct sensory experiences of touch, taste, and smell that are impossible to replicate online. Now, like the rest of us, Kim finds herself in uncharted waters.
1: Well, the power was that people, um, although... Physically, they might've been working next to each other and every day seeing each other and, and so forth. So physically they're there. They actually weren't connecting. And the goal of the, the experiences I create, which a lot of them are around the dining table, but not only is to get them to really connect to each other, but also to themselves. I think we're just walking around like zombies we're sleepwalking we're all numb i was using the physical the senses the the connection to the earth feeling the grass and the earth and not just eating a meal while you're talking about something else but and not paying attention but being mindful about what you're eating and what you're smelling and what you're touching it just takes it to another level and i see the the impact on them um because they're not doing it and i'm hoping they'll by coming to one of my experiences it will wake them up to that and that they can take those practices also to their homes and to their businesses. Humans are beings that need connection with each other and with ourselves, first of all. And yeah, I guess my mission is to wake us up from this numbness and make us, help us become more human, go back to being the humans that we are meant to be. And that's very challenging when you're not live in person. And hopefully when we can physically be together again, we will really appreciate it. And we will treat each other differently because we've been, uh, we haven't been, we have had it for so long. But I, I do think that f- being physically apart and being quarantined, we have to be even more creative in how we reach out to each other.
0: Faced with the challenge of social distancing, Kim has developed a new aspect of her business. For the zombies of Zoom, numbed by the dim experience of video meetings she offers the virtual table which brings people together around shared meals people who attend the virtual table cook their meals separately but share the experience of eating them in an online video conference with people from around the world at the virtual table kim expands the sensory range of the online experience to reincorporate, taste, and smell. Other people in business are turning away from online experiences, using the opportunity of quarantines to take time to rediscover the local world immediately outside their homes. The consultant Alexi Sommer, for example, is taking her reprieve from business travel to reconsider the scale of her ambitions, recalibrating from the city where she usually works to the small village where she lives.
10: You know, so maybe some of this is that we look back at locality. Maybe one of the positive outcomes is actually kind of rural areas start to be repopulated because people realize that actually in the city, if there is no money in the city, what the hell am I doing here? And maybe it's a defining for businesses what enough is you know, maybe that's something that businesses will start to kind of look at what really is enough, what do they need to kind of reinvest back into their businesses to enable them to kind of survive rather than constantly have to grow. So maybe it will, it will start to kind of balance things out a little bit more uh, and less kind of global ambition, more kind of local, local kind of, kind of context of kind of bubbles that kind of work within their context. You know, so if, if we based it on these kind of, these kind of human instincts about how we, we need change and we need um, daily ritual and routine, then, you know, if we were more honest with that as kind of a species, then maybe, maybe that's where it could shift somehow.
0: Alexi's response to the pandemic has been to withdraw. For others as well, there has been a reaction against the impulse for online connection, and a retreat into the smaller world, at home. At the political level, this impulse of withdrawal has been expressed in the form of the closure of national borders. On Chiffal, an online marketing specialist working at Interstore in northern Italy, communicates some mixed feelings about the new emphasis on border security provoked by the pandemic.
3: I was born in the eastern part of Germany, so the country where I was born doesn't exist anymore because of the fall of the wall. It vanished, which was a good thing. And as natural thing, I have a problem with borders. When um, I was flying from India to um, Amsterdam when the vote for Brexit came in 2016 and I had tears when I landed because I landed when the news was out and I went into the plane hoping that they won't do not vote for it. Um, and when Trump says he builds a border, it also gives me tears because I know how my mother stood at a wall protesting that it's going down. And, but right now, when I saw how it started in Italy and how critical it became, I totally appreciated that our border was closed first and we went into lockdown for the sake of everyone else. Because it was not about Italians anymore. And they are the Germans. It's, it's another human being on the other side of that border. It doesn't need to get this virus right now. I think in terms of managing the crisis, it's better to establish these borders.
0: In the past, Anja celebrated the fall of borders, but now with the threat of coronavirus, she welcomes the return of borders as a tool for managing the crisis. Eda charnlaka interprets the situation differently. She observes a disintegration of borders under COVID-19.
3: This sickness is showing us that there are no borders. It's going everywhere. There is no religion. There is no race. There is no upper or higher level of you know executive. Even the country, you know, the, the, the presidents might get it. I mean, there isn't, there is no stopping this, which we are like that on this earth anyway. When you look from the sky, when you go to you know the spaceship, what you see is one world. So maybe, hopefully, this will show us that we are one world citizens of the world, and how can we distribute everything equally, so that first we start thriving as humans, then we can create more meaningful things.
0: Where Ancha sees borders closing, Ada perceives the disappearance of borders. Differences in perspective depend on where we're coming from, and under the social distancing shutdowns of COVID-19, our visions of reality have split into different streams. Though we may disagree about the place of borders in this experience, what we still hold in common is the perception that borders are a defining metaphor of the coronavirus experience. Alastair Somerville explains that the search for borders is an instinctive reaction when human beings enter new and ambiguous territory.
6: There's a whole system in your brain which is looking for edges and borders. So borders and edges are actually very, very important to spatial mapping and spatial comprehension. And given most of your comprehension is spatially based, um, this matters. People are seeking borders because borders then allow them to understand either the territory which were there within or to be able to find a route which they can follow the edge of. Following the edges of things is the most basic form of human navigation. So in general, human beings will either be navigating by nodes, place cell stuff where you can see landmarks and you track landmarks and move across space, or you'll be working through um, grid cell systems which are created as you move. But borders and edges If all else fails, border and edges are the basic way in which people can comprehend physical or information spaces. If you want to scare the crap out of people, borderless, edgeless spaces are the worst thing that people can have. Because again, inherent in some of the stuff to do with ore, a lot of the ore stuff is inherent in the fact that the mountain ranges, whatever else are so huge they can't scale themselves against it because they're used to the environment they're in. But then if you create an environment where the person cannot even find a way of finding their scale because they can't find the edge of it, then it's creepy as hell for them. Borders, I mean, it's it's, certainly in all the maps we do, we sort of, the one fundamental thing is we always make sure there's a very clear border to understand where the edges of the information we're trying to inform the person of is. Uh, what worries me is the way in which you're seeing, you're seeing borders being, and it's sort of like the word stranger, the word stranger changed meaning over centuries. So stranger used to mean the person from the next village, and then it used to mean person from the next county, and then the next country. Um, So we we pushed out the concept of stranger. But borders similar, we, we pushed out the sense of where the border was because we became more aware of and more accommodating of who was within spaces and how we existed within spaces. And at the moment, rather like that thing of the way in which we're now suddenly finding ourselves just at home, borders are coming back in again much much closer and closer and closer to ourselves so you know you're seeing that in america where sort of you know things are dropping from federal level to state level to city level and that's sort of where is the border of the people that we're taking responsibility for and who is helping each other and that sense of that once you've got a border then the people the other side of the border are strangers are not us and you know you get back to that worrying territory of you know in and out groups i'm aware of why borders exist because i understand the psychological meaning of borders but um but no i'm deeply against the idea that we need to restrict ourselves you know we've spent several centuries pushing out borders so they become less and less meaningful to us because we become more and more aware of how people in different places are the same you know i understand borders do exist because they do have cultural value in terms of the way in which people think about themselves and think about their identity but the fact that you can have completely permeable borders in a physical sense that people can just move between spaces but then when you step outside and talk to people their their sense of culture and their sense of place is radically different because they are the border still exists but it it's not an authoritarian or militaristic thing i fear quite heavily that Because of who we happen to have in power, and the way in which the metaphors of control of the disease, in terms of isolation and you know borders and so forth, operate, that that creates a narrative which heads towards a rather unpleasant possibility. And you know, I think what concerns me is it's it's the exact moment where people who have hope for change should be really strongly pushing. As I say, I think anything which attempts to try and provide some sense of where we all are is helpful because yes, within within this time scale, people are still going to be quite disorientated.
0: Borders define who we are and who we are not. They mark places and people as foreign and create conceptual spaces where we refuse to go. They reduce the infinity of space to something infinite, something that we have some chance of understanding and controlling. Whenever we create borders, however, we also create places where the borders can be crossed. Since ancient times, these border crossings have been the places where commerce can take place. Business occurs at the thresholds between the familiar and the foreign, between who we are and what we might become. Every purchase is a crossing, an opportunity for a customs declaration. Borders don't need to be physical in order to play this role. When a business is well defined, people understand its boundaries quite clearly. They know what it means to belong and what the purpose of the brand is. David Altschall The founder of Character LLC explains that anxiety about borders arises when companies have lost their sense of social relevance and are unable to tell a coherent story about their reason for being.
4: Getting together is a metaphor. When I talked about a new leader head of marketing at a large retail organization, wanting to gather people around a shared sense of purpose. The question of whether they gather in one room or gather by reading the same document all over the world or something in between or some combination is much less important than the question of whether there is in fact a common set of beliefs and values that drives the organization. So I would turn it around. I, my experience is that uh, there are very few organizations that succeed that don't have some purpose beyond just making money.
0: As David suggests, borders define the edges of brands as well as the boundaries of nations. The truth is, though, that most businesses don't have a real brand. The onset of digital systems of optimization has marginalized organizational purpose, distancing people from the businesses that they work for, replacing meaning with automated algorithms for the maximization of efficiency. Introduce remote work and social distancing to such a company, and the thin facade of belonging, will fall apart. On the contrary, when a group of people has a clear purpose, they can feel a sense of togetherness even when they're apart. They remain part of a company even when they can't meet in person. The shared identity of such an organization remains present regardless of the physical location of its members. The question of how businesses can maintain an experience of presence in spite of the closure of all sorts of borders under the rules of social distance gets to the heart of what it means to maintain a human community. Can we remain connected to the global commercial network as members of our professional communities and affiliations of consumer brands in spite of the fact that we never see each other face to face we seem to have arrived at what expert storyteller david altshul would describe as an irresolvable conflict there can't be a single solution to the struggle between the urges of distance and presence because connection and restriction of movement are both vital to business businesses are built at border crossings It's their role to manage the flow of people and products across boundaries of identity. The crisis of COVID-19 arises from the need to close these points of trade for the sake of public health. Business has become a disease vector, and so the doors of conventional commerce have been closed. Without cross-border movement, we remain frozen, and the digital portals available to us may not be sufficient to bring about a thaw. How did business culture get to this frozen place? Next week, the podcast considers this question, exploring the possibility of pre-existing conditions that have made businesses susceptible to the commercial symptoms of COVID-19. Thank you for listening to this fifth Podcast of Beyond Back to Normal. Quite soon you'll be able to find a transcript of it on the websites Beyond Back to Normal and Business in the Time of Coronavirus.com. The music that you hear, opening and closing each episode, is from the 2010 album To the Dust From Man You Came and To Man You Shall Return by the instrumental duo. Charles Atlas. It's a song called Corona Norco. Chin up. Stay well.